Okay, let's try this again. So this is Raphael. Hey there. This is episode 92 of the MMA, or excuse me, 93. One of the two damn numbers of the MMA ratings podcast. So it's funny. Earlier today, I was talking about putting on a show without any technical difficulties. And something told me to knock on wood because lo and behold, technical difficulties tonight. So first and foremost, I apologize for that brief delay, but thank you for um, hanging with us and listening to today's show. And as always, thank you for listening to our content. Please be sure to like and share our YouTube video here of this episode and any prior episode you may have listened to. And thank you for um, following us on Instagram, you can follow us at MMA Ratings Net, same place on Twitter, and go to MMARatings.net to rate your fights, uh, or excuse me, tell us what you rate each of the fights before they happen and afterwards. And I definitely want to know what everyone's thinking about this weekend's card because we have some pretty big fights that are worth fighting and worth being excited for. I saw, I'm seeing a lot of people talking about how Saturday's UFC on Fox 30 card is the first one that they've been excited for in a while. And to be honest, I'm pretty excited about this fight from top to bottom as well. So we're going to talk about that. But we have a couple of different topics to talk about as well. Um, Conor McGregor, Nick Newell from this past week. And I'm sure that there's other bits and pieces we could talk about too. Um, Shawan normally joins me. I have not heard from him today. So hopefully he hops on the show at some point in time tonight. Uh, if not, you know, I got this. Um, but it's always great to have my partner in crime uh, on the shows with me week in and week out. But with that being said, let's go ahead and kind of start talking about some of the topics from today. And I think the biggest news story is Conor McGregor. You know, he pled guilty to misdemeanor uh, charges in New York, and he will not be going to jail for his attack on that bus outside of UFC 223. So now um, he's basically cleared the fight. So I've been going back and forth about whether or not this is a huge enough story and how much time to kind of dedicate to it. Because, you know, I, I just want to see the man get back into the cage and fight again. Um, he is the biggest star in the sport, the biggest star the sport has ever seen. And when he comes back to the cage, it's going to be a huge opportunity for the sport as a whole, not just himself, but everybody that's competing and everybody that, that's on that event, and everybody that's involved going forward. And plus, you know, him versus Khabib and Margot Madoff, that's the fight everybody wants to see even more so than Khabib versus Tony Ferguson because they've been going back and forth for years now. And I really think it's intriguing to see that style matchup. Will uh, Connor be able to do enough avoidance of Khabib's takedowns to light him up on the feet? Or are we looking at a situation where Khabib takes um, McGregor down and bodies him up the same way he did uh, Edson Barbosa and just about everybody else. So it's a very intriguing storyline heading into that fight, let alone all the other foolishness that's going on. So it's definitely a fight that people want to see. It's a fight that I'm excited about. Uh, and, you know, I don't care. It's funny because uh, Eddie Alvarez was being interviewed before uh, this weekend's card, and he had some pretty interesting things to say. 
where basically he and uh, Dustin Poirier, no matter who wins on Saturday, like they are fighting for the opportunity to be the man that gets gets jumped or or, or overlooked for Khabib in the future. And I get it. Um, you know, everybody gets it. It's, it's, it's a situation where we're all in, it, where we have to, where we have to uh, be prepared for the fact that Khabib is getting the first fight back. Um, and that's just, just, that's just how the situation is going to be. It's like it's funny because it makes me think of what Triple H used to say about uh, professional wrestling back. I mean, obviously it was fake, but when he used to talk about what's best for business, well, to be honest, uh, Conor McGregor back in Octagon, back in the title picture, is what's best for business for the UFC and mixed martial arts as a whole. So it's good to see some closure on his whole legal situation because now we can begin having conversations about him getting back into the cage. So I think that that's a I think that that's what the story really is at this time, and I think that that's what everyone's focusing on. Uh, the situation in New York was unfortunate. Like he, like he said, he cost a bunch of people paydays. Um, he really, I mean, I, I was going to say he exposed the hypocrisy of the UFC, but that was probably already kind of well known up to that point. So. It's all it's over and done with. Let's move on. There are plenty of other things to be talking about in mixed martial arts. And one of those, before we start talking about this weekend's card, I wanted to talk about uh, Nick Newell and his fight this past week. He lost to, was it, uh, God, what was the guy's name? I already forgot old boy's name that, that defeated... Um, that defeated Nick, but coming into that fight, Nick was the storyline. He was the, he was the main attraction. Hell, he's been probably the storyline heading into the contender series this year because everyone knew that he was going to get a shot to join the UFC. But that shot was thwarted when he lost on, um, when he lost on Tuesday, let me uh, let me see, let me see, let me see. I can't remember who defeated him. Let me look real quick. Let me see, let me see, let me see, let me see. Alex Munoz, that's his name. I knew it was something along those lines. So Newell lost a unanimous decision fight to. Uh, Alex Munoz, he dropped, in my, in my opinion, watching the fight, he dropped all three cards. I think one uh, ref, well, one judge gave him a single round, but it was pretty much, you know, uh, an easy decision to be made that he 
didn't do enough to get the win. Uh, Munoz actually got the victory, but he did not get a contract in the end. Um, I, he, he did not get a contract in the end, so that was pretty uh, intriguing to me. It wasn't too surprising because it wasn't it wasn't a great it wasn't an overwhelming victory it wasn't a great 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 fight and to be honest I feel like Dana White had some biases against Newell because of his um being a an amputee he probably kind of limited what he thought of Alex Munoz but he didn't look uh stellar at any point in the fight anyway so I understand why he wasn't granted a contract and I'm I'm okay with that uh and I think that that is what was probably most important for this was that Munoz for one got back into the cage I think he had been outside of competition for almost two years and he I think he was dealing with injuries he's actually a member of team alpha male he's their wrestling coach and it was interesting, you know, Uriah Faber and everybody, I think Cody Garbrandt was there as well. Everybody was there in his corner to see him do work. And I think do work is exactly what he did. He did enough to get the win, and he looked solid from start to finish. It really, and, and that's pretty much all you really can kind of take from that. There were some couple other um, strong uh, performances. There were three contracts handed out at the end of the show. And I think probably the most interesting one guy I'm looking forward to seeing is um, Sadiq, seeing how he looks in the future. I think there's still a lot of opportunity for growth for him. And we'll see what he is like in the future. But um, I'm interested in seeing, hearing what Schwann has to say about uh, the contender series because I think that it's a it's a step in the right direction when it comes to the development of talent within the UFC. I think that that's something that is missing in combat sports right now um, to, to an extent because regional MMA has really kind of filled that gap for so long and now seeing that the contender series is a good way to introduce people introduce fans hardcore and mainstream alike to individuals who may be doing well on the regional scene tearing it up doing good work seeing them get an opportunity to fight for a UFC contract and then seeing them turn the opportunities into developmental contracts as well. So I think that's also important. We saw what that did for Mackenzie Dern, but I don't think she's such a great example right now, but either that's neither here nor there. I, I am pleased with the product. I think it's a good replacement for the Ultimate Fighter. Hopefully that does go away totally in this day and age for um, with the partnership with uh, ESPN. I, I hope that that kind of um, steps into play there but i've been pleased with what i've seen with this product going so far but yeah like as i was saying you know nick newell was the big story 
from this weekend or this week's edition of the show and he was unable to get the job done. A lot of people were rooting for him. A lot of people were cheering for him, but it's just, it just wasn't his moment. Um, he was paired up against a very good uh, wrestler in Munoz. And it was interesting because what Newell is known for is he his ability to lock up a lot of submissions, mainly that uh, guillotine choke with his where he's amputated off at, at the arm. And in the third round, he looked like he had one tight for a second, but Munoz was able to scramble out and get get his body to a safe position. It's interesting because, you know, he trains at Team Alpha Male, so I'm sure he's been in that position time and time again. That's kind of what he hinted at during the, uh, the post-fight interview. And um, I'm... Not, I'm going to say I'm not too intrigued in seeing what he does next, but I do think that was a good win for him, a good win for him to get welcomed back into uh, competitive mixed martial arts. Would it be intriguing to see what's next for him? So let's see. Are there any other huge stories? I, I guess. I would like to get Schwann's take on um, the Darren Till. There's two big fights that were announced this week. Darren Till against Tyrone Woodley and Roel Romero against um, Boracina, Paulo Costa, which, and I think that both of those fights are important. The Woodley fight, unfortunately, it takes away the Covington fight for us, unfortunately, because, you know, Covington was the interim champion. He earned it, what, six weeks ago? And that was basically his opportunity to walk into a title fight against Woodley, and that was pretty much what was expected. Unfortunately, he had surgery on his nasal passages this week, I believe on Tuesday, which will keep him out, I think he said, until November. So instead of the UFC waiting for that potential big fight, which could have it could have done a couple things, it could have helped to solidify Woodley as a champion if he goes out there and knocks out the villain that Kobe Covington is trying to become. And it could have helped Kobe become a bigger uh, name if he went out there and won the fight. But instead of doing that, they stripped. Covington of the title, which is a topic we're going to talk about in a second, stripped him of the title and put Darren Till in. Now, Till is coming off of a victory over Stephen Thompson, but there's a couple of things with that. A, it was a very questionable victory. Uh, in my opinion, it's a victory that he got some home cooking on just because of where they were fighting. And the situation at the time um, is a very slow pace. A lot, a, a lot didn't really occur. It didn't kind of jump off the page. But he earned that victory over Stephen Thompson at home. But he also missed weight. I want to say he came in eight pounds overweight. And you have to want. And this is this is the guy that was talking about going partially blind while going through the weight cut. So here we are talking about a title fight for welterweight where one of the two individuals not only couldn't get down to 171 pounds, 
But now we got to be concerned about him getting down to 170 on the dot. And everyone has kind of pointed this out, talking about the situation, because now we're like, look, the UFC is setting themselves up for a position, an opportunity for failure here again, because Till has missed weight twice already, two times. Uh, once at UFC, um, in, uh, once in 2017, and once, uh, th- man, in those two, <laughs> the two moments he's missed weight are almost exactly a year apart. So. Now, if they book him in a main event fight for a belt, the UFC has an like they, they this can be this is the main event of UFC two twenty eight I believe it's the September card. It's the uh, September card that he um, that they're headlining. They're putting themselves in a position to lose their main event again. And this is goes along the lines of what kind of like what happened with Max Holloway when he tried to step in against Khabib Namarco Madoff. What happened and, and we still see that Max Holloway has not fought yet this year, so he's dealing with issues. We've seen so many fights be broken up due to last minute shenanigans. And this is a fight right now that they just booked, knowing that Till has had issues making weight. So if this fight falls apart, it's on them. Literally, like there's no other way to put it. Instead of them looking at their calendar and properly managing their champions and giving getting this is this is where they should be giving their fighters more of what they want to help convince them to help convince them to fight a little bit more of an active schedule because now they had a show planned for September or pay-per-view that they clearly knew about that now is already in danger. And what I mean by that is already in danger because we see, we, again, Till has not, Till has struggled making weight. So what else are they going to book around this event to uh, mitigate that potential fallout? That's an important storyline to watch because if they do not they do not want to find themselves in a position where they have to cancel a fight card. I think they've done it twice so far, three times, uh, I believe. I think they canceled one out in China so far as well. So this is not a situation where they want to find themselves in again. But they've they've put themselves there. This is by their own doing, by their own hands. They've put themselves there. So it's unfortunate, but that's the situation that we're all in. Stripping and stripping Kobe Covington of this of this belt. Further disrespects the lineage of UFC titles. It, it's totally it's totally like it's just it's just foolish. Because these interim titles are introduced as as almost like a motivator. Hey, the champion can't fight, but you're still an opportunity to earn yourself an interim belt that will bring with it some financial benefits you know you'll be treated as a champion you'll be paid as a champion well we see that that's not the case because they stripping they're stripping Kobe Covington out of like a necessity to have out of a convenience to have a main event bout at UFC at whatever this is UFC 228 just because they need one there and they don't have didn't have anything else to put there 
and this, this is just foolish as well. I am not the biggest Kobe Covington fan. I've said it time and time again. You can see it on my timeline. I question his route to his potential route to stardom. This, I still do not think he should have been stripped of this, but I think that's even more ludicrous than some of the things that he's said and done. So we're going to have to keep a close eye on this matter here because we're talking about this till versus Woodley fight that very well might fall apart at the last minute. I wonder if there's like a betting line that's open on that happening because it's got to be close. And this is just foolishness for the UFC to kind of book this fight at this point in time. The other aspect of uh, fight announcements this week is Costa versus Romero. And from a fantasy booking type of standpoint, this is a this fight is exciting just because we know there's a good chance it's not going to go all 15 minutes. Um, Romero has looked good. I mean, he's looked great in his last few fights. He just has not been. He just cannot find a way to defeat Robert Whitaker. He's been knocking other guys out left and right. So he deserves to be where he is. I was I was hoping that he did go up to 205 and face Daniel Cormier. I would much rather see that fight than Cormier fighting Gustafson or Shogun anytime in the future. I would much rather see that fight, but um, it's not going to happen. He's going to stay at middleweight, and he's facing off against Paulo Costa. And Costa is a guy who's been blowing the doors off of people. He had that knockout win over um, Uriah Hall a few weeks back. He's been beating people up, and that's what people like to see. Uh, Luke Thomas is talking about Boracinha as the next big Brazilian star, and I can really see that. I mean, he's like Vitor Belfort in the past. Looks like him, shredded like him. Um, hopefully, he's not on that same type of, um, uh, I guess, regiment. I'm not going to say any more than that. Uh, then we all are all aware of what Vitor has been accused of over the years. But as it stands right now, Vitor is, um, excuse me, <laughs> Boracinha is just, he's the next big Brazilian star. He's blowing the doors off of people, going in there, knocking them out. The fight against the Riot Hall was great. I enjoyed it. He uh, showed his ability to win. He had some um, he had some rough rough patches in there. Uh, Uriah had him hurt. He was working the jab until he tried to kind of changed up his strategy in that bout. So I think this is a good step up for Boracinha. And it immediately puts him in the uh, title hunt if he can get a win. Romero's clearly the middleweight uh, number one contender, even though he just lost to the champion. He's still ranked in those in that top position. Uh, and this would be an opportunity for us to see if Boracina is ready to bubble up to the top as a uh, potential title contender. So I'm fully here for, um, for that storyline, and I'm looking forward to seeing... Uh, what comes out of that? I don't. Uh, I feel like that fight was announced for November, maybe, but I, I don't really remember off the top of my head. I'm gonna have to go back and look. But that's definitely a fight that uh, fans should get excited about, and they should be prepared um, to watch. So, 30 minutes into the show, and I want to move on and start talking about UFC on Fox 30. That card is this Saturday going down from Alberta, Canada. It's weird because like this fight, this this would have been a great card to put in Philadelphia with with Eddie at the helm because, you know, he has a big following in that area. That's where he, I mean, that's where he fights out of. That gummy kind of writes itself, but they moved it over there. So this card is pretty much, this card is very stacked. Um, 
and I'm interesting. I'm interested in a lot of things from top to bottom. Obviously, we have the rematch between Alvarez and Poirier as the main event. Jose Aldo, Jeremy Stevens as the co-main. Ioana Jacek and Tisha Torres, um, Olivier Almusier, and Alexander Hernandez. I'm not too familiar with Hernandez. I'll talk to Swan about him. Jordan Mean, um, you know, he was a rising prospect a while back, stepped away from the sport, hasn't looked so great since, but he is um, also on the card. Islam Makashev, Makahashev, um, I'm looking, I, I'm intrigued in this guy too as well, because he's kind of looked, he's looked in, uh, pretty good over his last couple of fights. John McDessie, Ross Pearson, I think that's a loser leaves town fight there. Alexis Davis and Caitlin Chuk again. Uh, Chukagian. Chukagian is kind of rising up the women's bantamweight division, but she's coming off of what was a very lackluster win uh, this past January. She's three and one in the UFC since joining them. Um, part of that, uh, Ricardo Almeida team out in Jersey, and uh, it's it's interesting to see her because. Um, Um, I'm I'm interested in seeing her development because a lot of people were pretty much disgusted as her at her win at UFC on Fox 27. It just wasn't a great fight for her uh, in any way, shape, or form. She won the fight, but it just wasn't a lot of action. It was a lot of movement, a lot of uh, showing attacks without actually attacking. But she still. Um, But she was still able to get the win. So, hold on one second. So I'm, I'm interested in seeing what she looks like facing off against Alexis Davis, and let's see how uh, if she's kind of grown in her potential there, uh, in in her true potential. So let's start at the top, as always, as we always do. And let's talk about Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier. So this is a rematch of their fight back and I think it was last year. They fought. When did they fight? Let me go into their fight finder here. They fought last year at UFC 211. And it ended in a no contest when Eddie need Poirier in the head in the second round, right towards the end, 4 minutes and 12 seconds. But those nine minutes of action gave us enough to look at this fight in a very particular fashion. And what I mean by that is that when that fight started, Eddie was initially getting the better of Dustin. Uh, he looked like he was um, landing cleaner shots, landing cleaner uh, combinations. Then, as Poirier tends to do in some fights, he started to come from behind. And in that second round, I believe that he had um, he had Eddie Hurt. He had Eddie Hurt, and I personally 
personally remember looking at that thinking that sorry folks thinking that Eddie was on his way out um yeah thinking that Eddie was definitely on on his way out and it wasn't much that was going to change with that but I mean we saw how that fight ended we saw how he was able to we saw how it ended I'm not going to say anything was done on purpose I'm not going to say that that was kind of a way out that's what Poirier has said that has gone on record and said that but there's nothing to really kind of go from there let me see if I can get Shawan in on the show Shawan is telling me he's ready. Um, let's see, let me see, let me see. Sorry for the brief lag, but as I said, you know, it, it, I just so mentioned to talk about earlier today having a technical issue-free podcast, and then we have this happen. But yes. Looking at, I'm really excited about this fight because I think it's it's going to be one of those all violence, all violence cards from down to finish. Like this is good. This has the potential of being one of the fights of the year. I don't think it's going all five rounds. I think someone's getting smoked and getting carried out of there, going out on his shield. And another intriguing aspect of this fight is the fact that Eddie is fighting out of his fighting out of his contract. He's had a pretty good run as of late. But this is the last fight on his deal here, and he can definitely walk out of the UFC on a pretty big win streak with, let me see, he would be having, um, he would have wins over uh, Justin Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier on his way out, Rafael Dos Anjos, Anthony Pettis, and Gilbert Melendez. So that could be a huge opportunity for him. But uh, Shawan, how are you doing there, sir? Uh, not bad. Yourself? Doing good, man. Go doing good. You joined us right at the right time because we are talking about Dustin Poirier versus Eddie Alvarez. Tell me what you think, man. Break this fight down. Yeah, the biggest thing I'm I'm noticing about this fight is in each each of the guys' last fight versus Justin Gaethje, the biggest advantage they had was their boxing. In the case of Poirier, he was able to work a distance boxing game get into the body, sticking a jab, kind of turning Gaethje, cutting the cage off him when Gaethje backed off him. In the case of Eddie Alvarez, he was able to get in close, work the body, and break Gaethje down over the distance. In facing each other, that advantage won't exist so clearly. A lot of times in MMA, boxing is the weakest art they have in there. Poirier's boxing has improved greatly. Eddie Alvarez has always been able to box, but he throws it away to get into brawls. So now that kind of fallback they have, where it gives them their key advantage in the fight, it doesn't exist quite as decidedly, which means the fight's going to be a little bit more complicated. Poirier still has the advantage boxing long distance. Eddie Alvarez still has the advantage boxing in close. But the thing is, whereas Poirier has a huge advantage over everybody else boxing at distance, he won't have as much of an advantage because Eddie Alvarez has, knows how to feint. He knows how to work himself in the range. He's not great at it, but he's well above the average MMA fighter. And the same thing goes in reverse for uh, Poirier, whereas Poirier usually has an advantage at range. Sometimes he even has an advantage working on the inside as the dirty boxing guys. But in facing a guy like Alvarez, 
when he tries to establish his range and then work his way in to close the show, he's going to be meeting a guy who knows how to roll with punches, get under his shot, work his body, put the head and body combinations together, tie him up on the inside and punish him. So the interesting thing in the fight is going to be who controls the position, who controls the distance, and who can really take over the fight in those key areas. Based on technically technical skills, Poirier should win this running away. He's a younger guy. At this point, he's a better athlete. He's a fresher guy. He's better at distance. He, he has all the tools. Defensively, he's a great wrestler. Offensively, he's good enough. He's a good grappler. He's a better all-round striker. But the, the same problem Dustin Poirier has always had is when a fight gets tough or when he gets a guy close to being finished, instead of sticking to the course, he's always going to force the fight. And against a guy like Gaethje, you can force it. Gaethje doesn't have enough boxing skill or acumen. Against a guy like Anthony Pettis, same thing. He doesn't have the footwork. He doesn't have the boxing skills as far as his hand, nor does he have the defensive and counter skills. Against Alvarez, if he turns up the heat like he did last time, because the first round, he put a clinic on Alvarez. But then he, once again, he went in for the kill. He got countered, got drugged into a brawl. If you go into a fight where it's going to be a firefight or a dogfight with Eddie Alvarez, I'm almost going to have to pick Alvarez in any, any situation when it's a dogfight. And Poirier just can't seem to help himself when he gets into a fight where he can't clearly and concisely out-slick you, out-technique you, and outwork you. If you can hang in there and get, in, get into some spots, fire back, hit him with some heavy shots, Poirier will result to a dog. Poirier is going to try and make it a dogfight. And once it becomes a dogfight, it's even money, probably leaning towards Alvarez. So the question is, can Dustin show that poise? Will he be measured? Or is the first time he gets Eddie Hurd and Rock, is he going to run in there and try and close the show? If anybody's ever tried to close the show on Eddie, usually if we get the show closed on them. Happened to RDA, happened to Dustin Gaethje, it's happened to a thousand fighters over the, over the length of Eddie Alvarez's career. So let me ask you a couple questions there based off what you just said. Um, I do agree with you that does Dustin, from a technical standpoint, it's almost as if he gets excited when he gets in any situation and he, and he rushes in and kind of throws the game plan to the wolves and ends up getting himself starched. You saw it with... Um, just to highlight that point you just said, how he throws the game plan away. I know for a fact when he was supposed to fight Conor McGregor, a lot of guys in this camp were like, okay, use the strike and establish your range, but get in on him, exhaust him with the takedowns. Even if you don't take him down, wear him out. You take him down, you can work him over. Poirier got ticked off about how Connor was coming at him and decided, no, I'm going to get him on the feet. I mean, he got got. I mean, you brought up that situation. Like, the same thing happened with Michael Johnson. when He got exactly. smoked there most recently. And uh, even with the Korean zombie fight, you know, he was that was supposed to be his coming out show. And the Korean zombie stopped him with his own, one of his own um, technical moves, one of the moves he's kind of known for, that, that Darth choke. So like though that that's been haunting him throughout his career for a while now. And in the previous Eddie Alvarez fight, he was dominating Eddie. Everybody was like, they're not even in the same class. And then he went for it, and then he got handled. Like he was on the path, in my opinion, looking at that fight to finish Eddie and get it over with. But it's it looked like something kind of fell apart there, and it was just he was just wasn't able to get the job done. The fact every time he gets into a tough fight where there's a fight where it becomes a question of toughness and durability and grit, because usually he can outskill guys. And when he outskills guys and guys don't have answers for him or they can't hang in there, he breaks them down, he outworks them, he chops them up. But once those guys make it gritty, once those guys show that they're not going away quick, 
It's like he has to impose his will on them. He has to break them. It's like you you use you attack an enemy's weakness to defeat him. You attack their strength to break him. When he can't defeat you just off of skills because you keep on showing up, you keep on swinging, then he tries to break you. And then in trying to break you, he forces himself into positions where he can be taken advantage of. He did it against the Korean zombie, as you said. He did it against Michael Johnson. He did it against Conor McGregor. And he did it against Eddie Alvarez. What's the key thing each one of those guys had in common? They had a personal stake in the fight. They were able to to incite him or to challenge him in a manner that made him feel he had he had put a punctuation on that fight instead of fighting smart. Every single one of those guys, he outskilled them. Had better skills, better athleticism. He was fresher, younger, stronger, everything. He he outskilled them in almost every range. And in every single one of those fights, he was either finished or damn near finished because he chose to throw all those advantages away and make it a brawl. Gaethje was never able to draw him in like that because Gaethje didn't have the boxing, the counter-punching, and even though he got the leg kicks, he could never generate consistent big offense. he just get him in spots. So he was able to control Gaethje. Eddie Alvarez has never been controlled. Only only Conor McGregor's from anywhere near to close to it. So if Poirier can't control Alvarez, what's going to happen? There's going to probably most likely be a dogfight. And I don't know how you get, go against Alvarez in a dogfight. Who's beating Alvarez in a dogfight? Um, beating Michael Chandler? Probably it. And that was, what, four or five years ago? Man, that was seven years ago, dude. Well, seven years ago. The first time was seven. The uh, the second time was five, and I still think that Michael Chandler won that 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 second fight. Oh yeah, yeah. I I probably I I could go either way on how that fight went, but the the point is made. It, it's very hard to win that kind of fight on against Alvarez. Outskilling him, I've seen Donald Cerrone do that. I've seen Conor McGregor do that. I've seen lots of guys outskill him. I haven't seen a lot of guys get in the trenches and just flat out outfight him. And Very true. And every time Poirier's in a tough fight, every time you put him in a tough fight, you get him, you, you rock him, you, you don't go away. He tend, he tends to resort to brawling and exchanging and dogfighting, and I just don't know that he can win that fight. Very true. Very true. So talk to me about uh, this co-main event between um, Jose Aldo and Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens is talking like he's about to retire, perhaps the greatest featherweight to ever uh, in this sport here. Um, do you agree with him? Do you think that this is Aldo's kind of swan, swan song? Or is Aldo just the guy who, unless if you're McGregor or Holloway, you're not going to beat? I think Aldo's on the decline, personally. I think, I mean, he's had a lot of punishing fights. The one-shot knockout with Connor, the, the extended brawl, five-round fight he had with Mendez, he took as good as he gave. Um, the fight he had with uh, the two fights with Max Holloway, even though Holloway's not a big hitter, Holloway throws a lot of strikes. Holloway fights at an extended, a very high pace, and he builds on it. So he took a lot of punishment at a high rate and was forced to fight at a high rate, which exhausted him. So he's taken a lot of punishment in like, whatever, four. He's taken a lot of abuse in like four of his last biggest fights. So to my extent, Aldo isn't the athlete he used to be. And his durability isn't what it used to be as a result of, A, cutting a bunch of weight, and B, taking a lot of punishment in his most recent fight. So there's a chance for Stevens to get him because Stevens is a big hitter. Stevens is younger. He is very explosive, and he is very tough. The problem for Stevens is this. He's not a very good technical fighter, and I've said this many times. Guys lose Jeremy Stevens often lose because they lack defensive awareness and defensive acumen. 
it's not really hard to be feared. He's a straight ahead fighter. He loads up on the shots. Yeah, he'll take you down a little bit, but just land ground and pound. Yeah, he throws hard kicks, but a lot of his power work is based on the fact that he's loading up and throwing everything he has and every shot he has so he can get that KO. He doesn't just throw naturally flowing shots to come off with quickness and accuracy and sharpness to finish you. He's never been that kind of guy. So every time you've had him face a guy who can move a little bit, who can box a little bit, who can, who's defensively aware, he gets outclassed. He did it against Moicano. Moicano outboxed him. And before you before you go on, your 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 volume's um, low. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, he did it against Moicano. Moicano just circled, walked him in the shots. Moicano doesn't have all those footwork. He doesn't have all those jab, but he walked him in the shots, chopped him away with the leg, at the legs with the leg kicks and the body kicks, and outpointed him. But when he fought Frankie Edgar, Frankie Edgar ran circles around him, outboxed him, except for one brief moment where he had Frankie and Ed in trouble. Other than that, Frankie took him down when he wanted. I'll box them when he wanted. If you can stick a jab, you can faint, and you can work off your back foot, essentially that's enough to beat Jeremy Stevens. If Aldo loses to Stevens, that doesn't tell me anything about Jeremy Stevens. All that tells me is that Aldo has declined to the point where he's no longer elite. And if Aldo beats Stevens, that doesn't really tell me much because he should beat Stevens. Stevens doesn't have the skill set. Stevens is basically a physical specimen who's very aggressive and athletic with good skills he's not a great striker he's not a great wrestler he's a non-option as a grappler so i expect i expect aldo to be able to beat him and i expect aldo to do it fairly handily he there, there's danger in there because aldo likes to scare you off with his power and stevens isn't the sort of guy who just gets scared off by power so aldo's gonna have to be on his p's and q's he's gonna have to be as sharp as possible because he's not as durable or as fast as he used to be but he's still worlds better as a striker i don't think i think the fight aldo had with uh, declining Aldo had with Max was still comp- more competitive than the fight Jeremy Stevens had with Max. And every time Jeremy Stevens has fought an elite guy who's anywhere near his prime or anywhere near elite, he's lost. He lost to Hub Swanson. He lost to Frankie Edgar. Plus he, was, he lost to Moicano. He lost, he lost to Max Holloway. He's never beaten an elite name. He's never done it. He beat Burrell after Burrell was beat half to death by TJ Dillashaw. He's never beat anybody in, in their prime or close to it. So I don't see any reason to think he's going to beat anybody in their prime or close to it now. Um, good points there. Good points there. So let's just say that Stevens does get a big win here. Um, where does that put him? Because I don't know if you saw the story earlier this week where seeing the, the rumor is that uh, Max Holloway may have had a stroke before his fight that was supposed to go down at UFC 226. So if that's the, if that's true, I don't think it's, I haven't seen it confirmed anywhere. But if that's true, we know he does have health issues. We saw what we saw basically how he sound and looked um, heading up into fight week. There, if he's unable to fight for an, an extremely long time. Do you, who do you put against Brian Ortega for the featherweight title? Do you put Jose Aldo? Do you put Jeremy Stevens um, if he defeats Jose Aldo, or do you put Frankie Edgar in that uh, slot? If Stevens beats Aldo, you have to put him in. He's on what a three-four fight win streak, maybe a five-fight win streak. Even he, he yeah. if he wins Aldo, I assume he's. I'm assuming if he beats Aldo, he has to knock him out. So if he knocks out Aldo in spectacular fashion. He knocked out Josh Emmett in a spectacular fashion. He dismantled 
Gil Melendez, even though that doesn't mean as much as it used to. The fact of the matter, that would have been three named guys he defeated in consecutive, in consecutive, fairly impressive fashion. How do you, how do you put anybody else in that spot? Frankie Edgar's already had a couple shots of the title. You can't put him in against Ortega when he's already he got KO'd viciously by Ortega. Even if Jose Aldo wins, I don't know if Jose Aldo gets a shot because he's coming. That would have been one. He would have been one in his last three, and then brutally knocked out in two of the two of his last three fights. So that doesn't make any sense either. If if Stevens wins, I would think Stevens is one who gets put in with Ortega. They already got a storyline. Stevens said Ortega was scared of him. Ortega says, I'm not scared of you. I just don't want to fight for an interim belt. So there's a little bit of a storyline. They're both Stevens is an exciting young athletic fighter who's just vulnerable. Not young. He's, he's, he might be exciting. He's definitely not young. You, we, we forget how long Jeremy Stevens has been around. I mean, he's been in the UFC oh, yeah. for more than a decade now. He's, he first joined the UFC in 2007. So he's been there for 11 years. And he yeah. is 32. You are right about that. He's been around. He's got a lot of miles on him. Well, he's he's got enough of excite. He's got enough of style, and he's got enough flaws to make it very exciting. If he wins the fight, he's going. He's getting the next. He's getting the next title fight. I don't care what Frankie does. Frankie isn't getting it. If he wins the next fight, he will move on. Fight Ortega and Edgar will complain because I already beat that guy, and and I should get the title fight. But if he beats Aldo, he's he's guaranteed. And I'm not saying he can't. He can still put Aldo out. Aldo's not as sharp as he used to be, but based off the skills, based off the history, and based off of who they've lost to and who they faced recently, you have to favor Aldo. I'm not saying he's not he's not declining and not vulnerable, but just based off who they fought and how they performed and against the caliber opponent they faced, it, it's hard to go against Aldo. Jeremy Stevens just hasn't shown me enough technical improvement. He's shown some but he still has some of the same holes when you present him with the same problems. You show him some movement and a jab and some feint. Uh, the guy who everybody says has improved a thousand percent doesn't look like he's improved very much. And that's been his story historically. So if Aldo loses, let's, let's talk about that. Cause that's a real possibility. Now, if Aldo loses, does the UFC cut ties with him and he go hit by his way? Is this perhaps the last time we see him, not only in the octagon, but in fighting all along. I don't know. It seems like he's trying to get his exit strategy out. I don't know if he wants to exit on losses. I mean, if the UFC cuts him cuts him off and he wants to continue fighting, Risen would pick him up. Bellator would love to have him. I mean, that's just that's just goes without saying. He'd he'd be a good get for Bellator, even even coming off with three straight losses. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if the UFC just even though he's not a big seller. He's still a valuable commodity, and having him in any other organization is going to draw a certain amount of credibility towards that organization. So I don't know if the UFC lets him go. The UFC tends not to let certain guys go no matter how much they lose. They have to really start losing a certain kind of way. But I, I guess it's a possibility. I mean, he, he hasn't been the easiest guy to work with in the past couple of years. So I guess it's possible, but I, I can't imagine him him so he can go to Risen or Bellator. If he's going to retire, I could see them letting him go. But if he wants to go to another promotion, I can't see them letting him go. It just doesn't make very much sense for them to give to give those promotions anything at all. Yeah, I, I don't know if anyone's going to want to kind of. Um, I mean, people will still pick him up, but they pick the if they if you pick up Josh Koscheck, you're willing to pick you're willing to take a chance on Jose Aldo. I mean, true. I, you know, mm, I'm sitting here thinking to myself. If I would want to see a fight between Aldo and uh, Pitbull 
in Bellator. I think I would watch that. I don't know. I don't know who wouldn't. I have no idea who wouldn't. It'd be a great thing for Bellator. Even if he goes out and gets dominated by your guy, then your guy's one of the few guys who knocked him out. I mean, it it still it still sells. It still has resonance. People are gonna see want to see. Well, if he goes to Bellator, does he have anything left? Because other guys have gone to Bellator who were losing in the UFC and they turn their careers around. So does Aldo have anything left, or is Aldo really done? People well, look to see it. I'm gonna dispute that as well too. Um, uh, because guys who have left the UFC and gone over to Bellator have not all done well. I mean, Henderson is struggling. Thompson is struggling. Koshek is struggling. Um, McDonald's won a, a, a title, but Lorenz Larkin is, is struggling. So that's not really the um, trend. Well, it's not it's not so much a trend, but there's been a, there's been enough guys who've done well. McDonald did well. Bader's been killing it since he's been Yeah, there. I forgot about Bader. You're right. He is a champion now. Even, even to a degree, Chael Sonnen had a rough start. But since then, he's kind of hit a stride, you know. So there, there's, there's some argument that he may still be able to compete with those, those guys. And like I said, a certain amount of fans are going to tune in to see what Aldo has left, just, just to see. Now, if he gets smoked in that fight, now we have a different discussion. But it'd be worth it for Bell, Bellator to have Jose Aldo fight in, fight in their cage. It'd be worth it. There'd be, there'd be some kind of interest in it. I, I can't imagine there wouldn't be some kind of interest in that. Very true there, sir. Um, let's talk about the biggest women's fight on the card with Tisha Torres and Joanna and Jacek. Now, I know you've been tweeting about this a lot, talking about Joanna and whether or not she may be uh, shopworn and that this is a good fight for Tisha. I know a lot of people are kind of looking at it in the other way. Break this fight down. Why do you think this fight is so good for the uh, Tiny Tornado? Well, I don't see how people don't say how I don't see how people can't say that Joanna isn't shopworn. She hasn't she hasn't had really any fights that hasn't gone rounds. When she first fought Claudia, that was the highly contested three-round fight. She had a fairly easy fight with Esparza. She had a fairly easy fight with Panay. But after that, she had a five-round back-and-forth with Claudia. She had a five-round back-and-forth with Carolina Kowalkiewicz. She had a five-round fight with Jessica Andrade. She had the fight with Rose, where she gets smoked to one shot. Then she got this fight with Rose, which was a five-round war back-and-forth, taking huge amounts of beatings. She hasn't really had any easy fights. All her fights have been high pace, high activity, and whether she's been hit a lot, she hasn't been hit a lot maybe as much as people would would like to hit her, her opponents, but she's been hit a lot in every single fight. And if you think about it, she's been hurt in every single one of her fights. She got hurt by Claudia. Claudia blasted her and then took her down in her big fights. She got hurt by Andrade. Andrade landed a big shot on her early and had her in trouble when she fought Rose, she got knocked out. When she fought Carolina Kovacavich, she got dropped and was badly hurt. And when she fought Rose again, she got hurt in that fight and was taking taking an abuse from round one to round five. Even when she was winning the fight, she was taking a huge amount of fight, amount of punishment. And that's also with the knowledge that we know that for the past couple of years, she's had a terrible time making weight. When she fought also when she fought Valerie Letourneau, she beat Letourneau. She started turning it on Letourneau. Letourneau was getting to her from round one to round five. So that she hasn't had any fights where she's put anybody away quick, where she's just dominated and hasn't been touched. Every single one of her fights, she's been touched. Every single one of her fights has gone tons of rounds. Every single one of her fights have had her throwing at a high pace, at a high activity, and not knocking someone out. So she's been working at a high level. And when you have that, when you have that style that depends on movement and volume, you have to train at a certain pace and a certain intensity for you to maintain that style under duress. So you're burning the candle at both ends. There's no shortcut. 
because you don't have an eraser. She's not going to submit anybody, which will save her trouble. And she can't take anybody and control anybody. So that's not going to save her any trouble. And she's not a knockout puncher. Every fight is going to make huge demands on her cardio, her joints, her conditioning, and her body's ability to hold up. So anybody telling me she's not damaged good or she hasn't lost this, who she hasn't lost a step, I just can't take them seriously. I just can't. I've seen her hurt too many times, even in fights she's dominating. Late in the round, she gets hit and she's hurt badly. I don't think her punch resistance is what it used to be. I think years of fighting at a weight class she shouldn't be fighting at has done a lot of damage to her. And I think in her last two fights, one, she got blasted out and beaten into submission. The second fight, she didn't get beaten in submission, but she took just as good as she gave, except she was fighting a person who, in my in my understanding, is a bigger hitter than her. She hit Rose a lot and beat her up in the clinch, but when Rose was hitting her at distance and at range, I feel Rose's power was a big issue for her. Now, Joanna's still longer than Tisha. Tisha doesn't have her reach. Tisha's going to have to work twice as hard to get in range and to stay in range because Joanna still has good footwork. Joanna still works at a good pace. She still has her long weapons. But the fact of the matter is Tisha is a fresher fighter. Tisha is going to be the quicker, more athletic fighter. Tisha is actually a threat to use the wrestling to transition, to get, get in a position to take some of that steam off of her or to use the wrestling as fakes to get in and land her punches. And Tisha also works at a very high pace. And as good a defensive fighter... I'm sorry, as good as a defensive fighter as Joanna is, she still gets hit a lot. So I think that coming off the last two fights, this is a real tough matchup for her. It's a real tough matchup for a person who's going to throw a lot of volume against her. Let me ask you this, because you said a couple of different things about Tisha Torres. Talk to me about the strength advantage she may have over Joanna, because for a minute there in her fight against Andrade, she was able to match strength with her very briefly, but she was able to match strength with one of the probably one of the strongest women on the roster. Talk to me about that and and how that will play an impact uh, into this fight. Torres is a very strong fighter. The problem is, in my opinion, Torres is too small to fight at the division. But Torres has taken down and controlled Rose for a little bit. She's taken down Beck Rawling, who is now fighting at flyweight. She's taken down a lot of fighters who are, who are now fighting at flyweight or one of the big or bigger, stronger people in the division. She can take down Joanna. And if Joanna isn't very active with her guard or Joanna can't force a pace, she can control Joanna. She's physically strong enough to do that. The fact of the matter is she's just on the smaller side. So it, it begins, it gets a little bit harder, even though the strength is equal. If you're just, if I'm just as strong as you are, but you got, you got 10 or 15 pounds on me, at some point I'm going to wear myself out trying to control you or trying to muscle you. So as long as she stays out of clinches, if she can get into grappling exchanges, I fully believe she can bully Joanna up against the cage. I believe she can bully Joanna on the ground. I think it's well within her ability to do so. Let me ask you this. Um, another question I just thought of here. You know, we're talk we're focusing a lot on Torres, and I, and I think that Torres has been a prospect I kind of been watching for a um, for a minute. Do you think Torres would be a contender if she can make one? Um, 115? Um, Can she make 115? You know, she's she's bricked up. So I, would she be able to make that, that, that weight class? I, you know, I I think Torres, I would like to think Torres, I would like to think Torres could fight at a lower weight class. I really feel like she's a little bit too small for this weight class. I know she's really cut up, but I, I just feel like against the bigger fighters, her power never really translates. And the same thing against Andrade. The difference became 
Andrade just being the bigger fighter. And Andrade, when she clinched up with her, she had some moments where she could control her, she could push her. That's not what Andrade is used to. But the fact of the matter is Andrade is cutting down from Bantamweight. She has a huge size advantage. So at some point, Tisha Torres ex- starts to exhaust herself rolling around and, mus- and matching muscle muscle power and horsepower against a bigger, a comparably strong, but much bigger and heavier opponent. So it always works against her favor. She ends up tiring herself out, trying to control these bigger, stronger opponents and having to throw three shots for every three shots to get the same effect that every one shot they throw has. So it just forces her to work at a higher pace. It forces her to use more energy. If she could cut down to a smaller weight, she'd be one of the strongest people. She'd be able to bully people. She'd be able to take people down. She'd be able to run over people because she's used to fighting people with a 10, 15, 20 pound advantage over her. So if you, you can hang with them, what are you doing against the girls who are actually your side? I mean, you saw how much of a difference it made for Andrade when she went from weight all the way down to strawweight. She went from somebody who could muscle people around in spots to someone who could dominate you physically for five rounds from beginning to end. That's essentially the, the thing I would see for Torres if she could make a lower weight. Okay. Like, if Torres... Said, Joanna, Joanna still got the skills, but after all the, the trouble she said about making weight and after all the punishment she's had in the last two fights, how does anybody feel this good about a quick turnaround? When was the Rose fight? Like a couple months ago? I mean, that's not a lot of time to make changes. That's not a lot of time to adjust your weight cutting. That isn't a lot of time to recover from all the damage you took. And nobody can tell me she's been looking better when she gets hit recently. She, she just hasn't. She hasn't gotten hit a lot before. And the more she's getting hit, the more shaky she looks. So I don't see how anybody could just be so sure that she goes through and walks through Tisha Torres. I don't see how you can feel that comfortable considering how her last two fights went. I know Torres isn't Nama Yunus, but if anybody else had taken that kind of punishment two fights in a row and came into another fight, there'd be concerns about what they can do and how well they're going to be able to do it against a high caliber person. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you about that situation at all. Um, Let's move on and let's kind of look at some of the other fights that are scheduled for Saturday. Um, A fight that I mean, there's a there's a lot on this card. As as I said when the show opened up, this is a fight where this it's is almost a pay per view card. It's almost yeah, pay-per-view. it almost is a pay per view uh, quality card where a lot of people are talking about this is the first fight that they've been excited for in a long time. Look at this card and tell me what kind of stands out to you. What are you most interested in seeing uh, this weekend? Um, of course, I'm interested in watching the uh, the Ansarov fight between uh, Ansarov and Randa Marcos. Just because both fighters have been, they've been historic. They've been two of the more consistent names in the women's division. Even though they they don't win consistently, they've always been the kind of fighters who people figure if they could just put it together, they would be title contenders. They have the athletic ability, they have the skill, and they have the experience to put them in title contention. It's just neither one of them has been able to win enough consistently to kind of make that next step. I mean, if, if Marcos wins, it'll be the first time she's won two fights in a row. If she loses, it'll be the first time she's lost two fights in a row. For Ansaroff, it'll be her first in attempt to beat name fighters and to kind of put herself as a legitimate contender in the division. She's just never been able to put consistent, good performances together one after the other. It's always been one good performance, one bad performance, one good win, one bad win. This is her chance to kind of get out of Amanda Nunes' shadow and establish herself 
as a legitimate contender in her own right instead of being known as the girlfriend of Amanda Nunes, who also fights. So this is this is important for the women's division because it's starting to get into you're starting to see that separation, especially with all the girls who've moved up a division. Now, now a lot of spots are opening up for people to, to make that run towards the title. So that's a fight that I think has a lot of a lot of importance to division, and it should be a good fight. Marcos, even though she's inconsistent, she's very rarely in a bad fight. Her fight with Esparza, Grasso, um, Kovacavich, they were all back and forth, high activity, high impact fights. I expect a fight with Ansaroff to be sim- in similar nature. The biggest question is, can Ansaroff keep her keep from being taken down and put in extended grappling exchanges? Because if it stays on the feet, as athletic as Marcos is, her offense is inconsistent and her defense is really inconsistent. Ansaroff likes to fight in big spots of offense. She's big, she's strong, she likes to punish the legs and body. But as long as she can stay off the ground or stay off the cage and not be in extended grappling exchanges, she should win handily. If she's forced into grappling exchanges, I fully expect Marcos to finish her by ground and pound or most likely by submission. I don't think Ansaroff can fight at a high pace three rounds long unless she's the boss and dictating, dictating when and where the exchanges happen. If you force her into a spot she doesn't want to be in or you make her work in the grappling phases, I think she gasses. I think she can't get out of position. I think she gets submitted by a random marker. And what does a win mean for for either woman? It it puts them is it moves them to the it moves them forward in the division. It makes them a legitimate contender, puts them in the discussion for um, as a contender for the title. Right now, those girls have the ability, they have the skill, they have enough of a presence, but they don't have a big enough win or haven't put it together consistent wins to where they can speak speak of themselves as legitimate contenders. A win on Saturday night puts whoever whoever wins it in the discussion for potential title contenders. Now we can start talking about fighting bigger names and getting in position to, to challenge for that title. What else stands out to you this week? I think the, I, I talked about it a second ago, um, the John McDessie-Ross uh, Pearson fight. I think that this is a loser leaves town fight, in my opinion. But what else um, stands out for you, you on, was, on this you card? Know, you know what's interesting about that fight to me? The fact that McDessie had left TriStar, and he seems to have made so many very critical statements towards TriStar. He basically, you know, in the interviews he was saying how... Yeah, I saw that. Really- they didn't. Re- they didn't really develop him. He he was working himself. There's this backstory that we don't know about, and we think these guys are so great. And Duke Rufus is a much better technician and strategist and executor of game plans. And most people would never tell you Duke Rufus is a better coach than Faraz Zahabi. And I've never really heard anybody go at Faraz Zahabi as far as or Zahabi's group as far as their training and their structure and how they treat fighters. So it's very interesting that a camp that's had a pristine image all of a sudden has somebody who's left it and is speaking out very loudly about the quality of training and the quality of the leadership in that, that camp. That, that, I don't know if that's an, a story flying underneath the radar, but that, that really kind of raised some uh, concerns when I heard that because I've, I've never heard that from anybody. Everybody said they're top flight. And to have a guy who's been with them for the length of his career say otherwise, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. You just you just don't hear that very often. I, I yeah, I saw I saw some of that conversation going back and forth uh, today. I actually saw some of that stuff jump out to me. But yeah, it definitely it definitely was a um, it was an interesting hit. It, it's it seems like they're trying to get rid of Ross Pearson. It seems like he's on his way out. 
um, a loss to Ross Pierce thing is pretty much damaging to anybody at their career at this stage. I know everybody says the he's a veteran, he's tough, he's fought the best in the world. But the fact of the matter is he's lost to most of the best in the world. He's no longer really a top athlete. He's no longer really a top fighter. He's kind of a guy who tells you what you have left or tells you what potential you have moving forward. So McDessie can't afford to lose this fight. A loss to Pearson, in my opinion, would pretty much put him out of the UFC. And if Pearson loses another fight, I assume he's out of the UFC either. I mean, you can only use the role of journeyman for so long if you're not able to get a couple wins here and there and you keep getting finished or or soundly dominated. And that's basically what's been happening to him his last three, four, or five fights. So it's a fight between two seasoned guys on their way out. And we're going to see which guy gets to stay, gets to stay of execution on Saturday. But um, both of them are right there, ready for the pink slip, in my opinion. Whoever loses this fight will not be with the UFC three months from now. I can agree with you on that there, too. So um, before we close out and talk about closing out today's show, let's go back for a second. Because I wanted to hear your breakdown of what happened with Nick Newell on Thursday um, with him getting defeated by uh, Alex Munoz. Yeah. So break that down for me and tell me what you saw there. Um, what, it, what was most intriguing to you about that fight? The thing that's really shocked me about Nick Newell is he's a good fighter. And he's a good story. He's got some athleticism. He's got skills. I, I'm not trying to take that away from him. But everybody was acting like getting beat up by Je- giving Justin Gaethje a fairly exciting fight which anybody who can put string punches and kicks together can do because Gaethje is fairly hittable and Gaethje looks to engage you in extended exchanges and it makes fights exciting. They tried to convince people that because he gave Gaethje a fairly competitive fight that somehow he was better than or on par with the guys in the UFC. And I'm not saying he's that far off of it, but the fact of the matter is in the division he fights in in lightweight, there's not really any easy fights. Even guys with four or five fights are tough matchups. They're high-end athletes, and they're training with really good fighters. The division is so thick that the guy who's the number 50th-ranked guy could probably give the guy who's ranked in the top 15 a hard fight, if not possibly beat them. So he's at a disadvantage because he's fighting in a very stacked division where only the best guys get to rise up and fight in a Bellator or a UFC. And even and none of the guys he had fight outside of, fought outside of Gaethje were on the caliber of the guys he'd be facing on the contender or be or the caliber of guys he'd be facing even in the preliminary stages of the UFC. So a lot of guys are telling me he deserves to be in there. And I'm like, based off of what? Based off of who? Who is he beating? What are you telling me? I know he can fight, but there's just certain holes he has in his game. His wrestling game is not great. His grappling game is good when he can kind of dictate things or create scrambles and create transitions where he can get in the positions he wants. But when he can't control position and he can't get you off him and he can't control your posture and he can't control the pace you're working at on the ground, as you saw, his grappling isn't spectacular defensively or in, the, in regards to the countering ability. And even though his striking is, is competent in spot, he's got great kicks. He can attack your legs, your body, your head. The fact of the matter is his boxing is a little shaky. He doesn't put his punches together, obviously. His jab isn't the greatest, which means he can't really set up his strikes the way he wants to. A lot of them end up being predictable kicks, loaded up jump knees, kicks to the body, kicks to the head, which are easy to recognize and get takedowns off of. And without top-end takedown defense and without top-end grappling offense and defense on the ground, once the guy takes you down, you're at a severe disadvantage. You can't get you can't force your way back to the feet, which would exhaust him. 
and make him kind of a liability on the feet and you can't finish him from the ground because you don't have the wrestling or the explosiveness the force and exchange where you can get a submission or you can get on top and start putting in work against him against lesser athletes he was able to do that against lesser technically skilled fighters he's able to do that against who knows who doesn't have half as many fights as him he wasn't able to dictate the pace of the fight he wasn't able to dictate the place of the fight and even though he had striking advantages he didn't have the tools or the nuance in his game to feint his way in to fight off the back foot to hit pivots and circles and change directions that would allow him easy entries to get those kicks off and to get out you know he wasn't using a lot of the front and the push kicks he was doing the high kick to the body to the leg to the body and all stuff and he was getting taken down off of each and every one of them and he says he doesn't want his disability to be mentioned well i'm not going to mention it the fact of the matter is his boxing isn't good enough his defensive footwork isn't good enough and a lot of what he does is based off him throwing naked strikes and naked shots which work against a certain caliber of fighter it's not going to work against a top-end athlete and it's not going to work against a guy who is on par with ufc level type fighters this was a fight he was given and they were hoping he was going to win. If he would have won, he'd be in the UFC right now. Um, Munoz is not in the UFC because he's not Nick Newell. But this kind of took some of the shine off him. That guy has got all the momentum from beating him. And the only good thing from it is he got his chance. Maybe he'll get another one. But this puts to rest any sort of idea that he was some kind of gem that the UFC just hadn't discovered. He's a very He's a good fighter, possibly a very good fighter. I don't know that he's an elite fighter. I don't know that he's a stunningly better than average fighter and i don't know that he's a ufc level fighter people keep keep telling me he's a ufc fighter but he didn't fight a ufc caliber guy and he lost and that guy was probably one of the better athletes he's faced in his career and even though it was a a good fight he never had control of the fight he was never really close to finishing and he was never able to put any sort of sustained offense on the feet or on the ground together he was essentially kind of dominated more or less he was exciting in it because he never gave up but nobody's going to argue that he was more or less dominated in that fight. And he was dominated by a guy who I don't know could, I don't know who he beats in the top 15 of the UFC right now. And the problem with Nick Newell is he's such a big name. You can't bring him into the UFC and kind of bring him in slowly with a guy with his name and his cachet. You got to put him in with someone real. And with that kind of hole in his grappling and his wrestling it, at lightweight, there's just too many guys who can out wrestle him. There's too many guys who can out wrestle him. And based on what I saw of his striking, there's too many guys who can get to him on the feet too. So I, I don't know where he goes from there. I guess maybe he'll keep working out, see if he gets another shot. But you know, this this should kind of this has kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit on how good he is, how good his opposition's been, and what his real future in the UFC or even at a Bellator would be at. Because this is the first time we've seen him against a really high class athlete outside of Gaethje. And once again, he, he lost pretty soundly. Unless you saw a different. Maybe you saw something different than I saw. No, I thought he lost pretty soundly, as I was saying, at the start of this show here. Um, and I don't know, man. I was, I was saying that. Were you concerned with his grappling? Like, were you concerned with his inability to get anything working offensively from his back or even to be able to hit switches or, or force an exchange, a, a scramble? He couldn't do any of that. Well, this is, this is what I was pointing out earlier about this fight here because – they picked a guy who, a wrestler from Team Alpha Male, to face off against him. So think about that. Think about how many times Alex Munoz has probably been choked in some way, shape, or form by guys like Chad Mendez, Uriah Faber, Danny Castillo, Cody Garbrandt, 
TJ Dillashaw before he left, and so on, so on, and so on, and so on. You know, Saber's a monster in that submission at the light. Exactly. They they are known for creating scrambles that opens up your neck, and they get a hold of your neck, and then they push you to sleep. So when Munoz took that shot in the third round, and Newell locked up his patented guillotine, if anyone knows how to scramble out of that, it would have been Alex Munoz. That's why I was saying that maybe this is a fight that the UFC didn't want him to win. And they booked him out of that position. You know that uh, Dana White has not been the biggest fan of, of Newell fighting in uh, the octagon because he has he has said he has stated his concerns. Um, and if anybody was going to know how to get out of that choke and get out of that scramble, it was going to be Alex Munoz. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I, I just... I wasn't. The thing is, a lot of people seem. A lot of people are like, "Oh, who's this guy? He doesn't have very many fights. They're giving him an easy fight." And I'm like, "Have you seen the guys that Newell's beaten in the World Series of Fighting? They're not top end guys. They're not top end wrestlers. They're not top end athletes. He was beating second, third tier type guys. Maybe for the lightweight division, more like third or fourth tier type guys. So it's like when he's getting taken down, everybody's like, "I can't believe this is happening." And I'm like, "What do you mean you can't believe this is happening? Like, who has he fought in his career?" That tells you he can stop takedowns from a guy, a high caliber wrestler, high caliber athletic wrestler. Who, who, I, I don't have his record in front of me, but he, there aren't a lot of big names on his 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 record. He's got guys who fought a lot, but he doesn't have guys who 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 have had standout careers. The best guy on his his resume is Justin Gaethje, and it's far and away Justin Gaethje. It's not like there's there's not another fighter he's fought who's within four or five levels of Justin Gaethje on his on his career. So it's very weird to me how he got this. It's a kind of cult following saying that, oh, the UC doesn't want him in there because they're afraid he's going to win and dominate. I'm like, I mean, he could. He's got enough. He's got some skills, but based on what I've seen, I don't have any reason to believe that he would wipe the floor with anybody in the UC because there's lots of guys who are good enough wrestlers and grapplers to do what that guy did to him. There's a lot of guys in the UFC right now who could do Guys who aren't even really ranked high in the UFC who could do that to him right now in 155. And and something that you said, you know, when people probably looked at this fight and they said, oh, well, who's Alex Munoz? He hasn't really fought anybody. You got to be careful when you say things like that because they're talking about the Team Alpha Male's head wrestling coach. If no one else on this world knows how to effectively grapple and control people on the ground, it's going to be the head coach of Team Alpha Male. Like, let's just be real here. And he, I think he wrestled at Oklahoma State. If you do some research, people... Don't because he's had issues with injuries and stuff like that. Just do some, and he has. And on top of that, he's had a hard time getting fights because a lot of people don't want to fight him. Exactly. So do some research. We know why now. We, say stuff like we, that. We know why they don't want to fight him because you're not you're not even going to have a chance to look good. You might land a shot or two, but unless you have a very crisp, very layered, layered and defensively sound striking and at least competent wrestling takedown, there is no way you're going to even look good against this dude. You're going to lose. And look bad and look like you don't know what you know how to do because in some spots and i can't speak as an ex, as a seasoned grappler because i'm not as seasoned as you are but it had to look like in some spots newell had no idea how to fight off his back against this guy because he wasn't able to do anything of no nothing very factual there man very factual um what's about to say there's someone else i wanted to ask you about go ahead one more thing i i think this kind of might this really might take a hit on Newell because at least he had that mystery and he had some wins, so people could kind of build him up to be something he wasn't. After a fight like this, it shows some glaring holes in your skill set and your physical tools. So 
he's gonna have to make some big changes for anybody to even consider him UFC type level. They can say whatever they want. He's a UFC type level guy. I saw a guy who can get off his back. I saw a guy who can work any sort of sweeper submission. So there's a huge hole in his grappling game. And somebody can say, well, a high level wrestler could do that to you. Well, let me ask you this. Why don't high level wrestlers take Jamie and Maya down right away? Because they know what's waiting on. There's a lot of guys people don't even attempt to do that stuff again. They don't do that against, um, who is it, Charles Oliveira. And nobody takes him down right away because they know what will happen if you take him down and give him a chance to work on the ground. Newell has has very exploitable holes in his stand-up and his grappling, and he's not a good enough athlete, dynamic enough striker, where he can master with the threat of his striking. So he needs he has some work he, he needs to do before he can just say that I want to be back and shot at the UFC. I don't know that he beats the Bellator lightweights right now. Vincent Henderson would have run him over. Pitbull would have run him over. Michael Chandler might have killed him. I'm not sure if he beats David Rickles at 155, to be honest. I'm not even trying to be – Aaron Pigo might get him at 155. Let's, let's be honest, man. Let, let's call it what it is. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Um, I wanted to talk to you about, before we close out today, briefly, the woman who fought last week's Tuesday's, um, Tuesday Night Contender Series. I'm not too familiar with her. I'm familiar with her opponent in um, – Jamie Colleen, but I'm not too familiar with the woman that beat her. Tell me about that fight. Um, it was really set up for Colleen to come in and kind of uh, establish herself and, and get that contract. I, I didn't really, to be honest, I was I was just kind of an observer to see the fight. I was like, oh, it's a girl's fight. I'll pay attention. I heard a lot about Colleen. She's going she's gonna to do her business and, and get into the UFC. And I was a little, uh, I was definitely caught off guard by how that went. I was not expecting that fight to go the way that it went, to be honest. And it seems like a lot of people were hyped for uh, the woman who won. Do you Are you familiar with her? Do you know anything about her um, at all? No, I, I – you know what? A lot. I just – I really – unfortunately, I hate to say this, but any, Dana White gets on my nerves so much. I'm very – it's very hard for me to get into anything he's behind. And so for a certain, a certain fighters, unless it's somebody who I know or somebody's tipped me off to, Sometimes if I just watch a show, I'm just watching it just to kind of just to watch it. Sometimes I don't even research the guys. I just kind of like see what they do. And depending on what they show me, I go and then I'll like do some research on the back end of that fight. But uh, I, I didn't know a lot very much. I didn't know very much going in into the fight based on either one of them. I was just kind of going. You know, some people, a couple of people told me they could fight. Should be a good fight. I said, OK, well, I'll go. I'll go check it out, and we'll we'll see what happens from there. And I was I just wasn't expecting the fight to go the way it was supposed to because I was told that uh, Colleen was a beast. I told I was told Colleen was gonna wipe this girl off the mat, and she was gonna be a hot commodity in the UFC and move up quickly. And the fight did not go that way at all. It did not. It did not I mean, at all. I'll, I'll give her credit. She showed heart. She showed the ability to fight through some tough spots. But she wasn't able to put any consistent offense together. She wasn't defensively. She just has too many holes. She has too many holes. She's, she seems like the kind of fighter that if she can't get her offense going, she just can't do anything because she doesn't have the defense or the countering ability to turn a fight around. And even though she seems like a good athlete, she doesn't seem dynamic enough where she can land one strike or just explode out of a, a position and regain control of a fight. So once again, this is this kind of loss makes me question. A, how good a fighter she is, and B, how she would do in the UFC, because even though the UFC divisions aren't particularly deep, if you're not able to do certain things, 
if if you're losing at this level, it makes me wonder that you have any shot at all competing in the UFC because these these girls who are in there aren't they don't have the seasoning, they don't have the experience, they don't have the resume of opponents necessarily just go in and dominate and if you're getting dominated by girls who are lower than that level i have to wonder what your or your prospects in the ufc are right now maybe you need to take a couple years and really refine your game and work on your game a little bit before you try and get right in there i i kind of assume the contender series is for people who are almost finished products and ready to take the next step and as you watch this a little bit going forward some of these fighters aren't they're they're not at that point they they need some seasoning they need some more time they need to be put in certain spots because when they're put in them they don't have any idea how to get out and a lot of these people aren't good enough athletes where they can get by with having such egregious holes in their game if you're if you're a francis and ghana you can get by with a certain amount of holes if you have holly holmes kind of athleticism you can get by with certain mistakes these aren't those type of fighters and i was I expect more finished product, and neither one of these girls, to me or in my opinion, are close enough to finish where they should be get, getting thrown to the wolves in the UFC, one way or another. Interesting thing about Jamie, you know, she already has a win on the Contender Series. It was a win that she pulled out last minute because she was losing that fight as well, too, before she locked in that, I think it was a triangle armbar. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with her next. I don't think they're going to do anything with her next. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping she's not listening to the show because she's probably gonna beat me up. But uh, I, don't, yeah. I don't think it's, the thing is you're not you're not being harsh. You're not saying she doesn't have talent. You're not saying she can't fight. But the fact of the matter is, the contender series should be for contenders to the UFC. People who you don't have to move them carefully when you get them in the UFC. They're ready to compete with, if not the best guys, the second and third tier guys. They're ready to come in there and do that. When you have a fight where you're being clearly dominated and there's spots you're put in that I can almost guarantee you UFC fighters are going to put you in and you can't get out of them and you can't mount any offense or any counters or improve your position at all, that should be a concern. That shouldn't happen. There shouldn't be people getting really dominated because you're facing lower than UFC level caliber, people who aren't super experienced. So even if they've got skill sets that are better in striking or grappling or wrestling, you should have an advantage somewhere and you should be good enough to work out of certain spots even if you're put into them. And you see people, once the fight goes bad, they can't turn the fight around. And it's one thing to get a Hail Mary knockout. It's one thing to get a Hail Mary submission. But when somebody's able to essentially dominate you from round one to round three or whatever, that's not a good look. Because at a higher level, people have it. Like you said with Munoz, you've been, in certain, you've been choked out in certain positions. You've been armbarred in certain positions. Unless somebody, a certain caliber of grappler or a certain caliber of striker, you know how to work your way through those rough spots and maintain a win and hold on for a win. If you're not able to do that at this level, my concern is, are you ready to move up to the next level? The UFC doesn't need any more underdeveloped fighters coming in. They, they just don't need that. We need fighters who can make some headway and become legitimate contenders in the UFC. They don't need anybody else who's trying to find their way and two fights later is cut out of the UFC. That doesn't do anybody any good. And I think these teams' management and their training camps should be working on all-round games and all-round skill sets enough so that when they're put in the spots they don't want to be in, they have answers. Because so far, when these fights go bad, they don't have a response. They don't have an answer. And there's no reason for that. Not at this level. Not if you want to compete at the, the best level. You, you have to have answers. And a lot of these guys don't have any answers past a certain point. The fight goes the way they want it, they're great. The fight goes any way except the way they want it, it's a bad night for everyone. And, and you can't be a top-end, least martial arts fighter if that's the way you fight. You just can't. 
you can you can be a body you can keep racking up fights and losses but you can't be any sort of contender if you can't work out a bad spot or you can't win a fight when it's not when everything isn't going perfectly and that's what i noticed with some of these fighters who are contending off here they, they're just they're just not good enough athletes or good enough in their skill set to say just bring them right into the ufc my my thing is if you win that show and you get in the ufc you should be able to compete with somebody from the from the unranked from maybe top 20 to top 15 and if you can't do that maybe you need to work on your craft a little bit better and i don't say that to disparage people but this is fighting this is bad for your health if you can't compete and defend yourself on a certain level so we don't need anybody getting hurt we don't need any careers getting ruined unnecessarily yeah i'm, I'm with you on that man it's definitely um it's definitely some in, intriguing developments there so let everybody know what you're working on uh and where they can find your uh, stuff uh you can find my stuff on combat press uh sometimes i do work for severe mma most of my work is on mmaratings.net um it's just been i've had such a hectic <laughs> week it's been really hard i'm starting to write my stuff like well in advance i used to do that but then i had a couple fights fall through you know they got injured and it really kind of put me off but i got to start writing stuff like well in advance so i can kind of have it ready and have it in the in the chamber instead of like trying to do it on the fly i just have so many things going it's hard to find like you know just the amount of time to really sit down there and and make a competent piece that somebody will actually benefit from so i'm going to start trying to get my stuff done in like a couple of weeks in advance and then as i get it done then i'll start trying to um kind of advertise it a little bit right now i just i just don't have very much i've been been a rough couple weeks for me unfortunately nobody wants nobody cares but it's been a rough couple weeks for me so i'm trying to get back in the swing of things good 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 as always you know you can find all of my content all over the same channels you can usually find them follow me on um twitter at r garcia sports and, and you can catch everything i'm talking about there what about you where can people follow you on uh, twitter uh you find me at black jordan breen twitter like i said if you have questions for the show contact us we will me or Raphael, we will answer them. If you have suggestions for guests, whether it's coaches or fighters or analysts, um, like I said, contact us. We we got a couple ideas. We're gonna we're trying to switch some things around. Maybe bring on some other analysts so you can hear me and Raphael kind of battle with them a little bit and get different voices and different takes on things. Whatever we can do to make it a better experience and a better learning experience for the fans who've been following us and helping us get those those uh, replays and listens up on our on on SoundCloud and Player FM and YouTube, which we greatly appreciate. So you, anytime you have a question or concern, you contact us, we will address it ASAP because we are here for the fans. Awesome, sir. Awesome. And with that in mind, man, we're going to go ahead and close out. Thanks as always for coming on the show and uh, sticking with me for a late night, man. We'll be back next week. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. It's a pleasure as always. Take have a good one.